and looked upon the budding consequence of the young people's reciprocal glances with placidity, if not actual favour. Gray's whole delicious dream terminated in a sad and unaccountable episode. After passing through three weeks of sweet experience, he had arrived at the last stage, a kind of moral Gaza, before plunging into an emotional desert. The second week in January had come round, and it was necessary for the young architect to leave town. Throughout his acquaintanceship with the lady of his heart, there had been this marked peculiarity in her love. She had delighted in his presence, as a sweetheart should, yet, from first to last, she had repressed all recognition of the true nature of the thread which drew them together, blinding herself to its meaning and only natural tendency, and appearing to dread his announcement of them. The present seemed enough for her, without cumulative hope. Usually, even if love is in itself an end, it must be regarded as a beginning to be enjoyed. In spite of evasions as an obstacle, and in consequence of them as a spur, he would put the matter off no longer. It was evening. He took her into a little conservatory on the landing, and there among the evergreens, by the light of a few tiny lamps, infinitely enhancing the freshness and beauty of the leaves, he made the declaration of a love as fresh and beautiful as they. My love, my darling, be my wife. We must part now, said she in a voice of agony. I will write to you. She loosened her hand and rushed away. In a wild fever, Grey went home and watched for the next morning. Who shall express his misery and wonder when a note containing these words was put into his hand? Goodbye. Goodbye forever. As recognised lovers, something divides us eternally. Forgive me, I should have told you before, but your love was sweet. Never mention me. That very day, and as it seemed to put an end to a painful condition of things, daughter and parents left London to pay off a promised visit to a relative in a western county. No message or letter of entreaty could wring from her any explanation. She begged him not to follow her, and the most bewildering point was that her father and mother appeared, from the tone of a letter Grey received from them, as vexed and sad as he at this sudden renunciation. One thing was plain. Without admitting her reason as valid, they knew what that reason was and did not intend to reveal it. A week from that day, Ambrose Grey left his friend Huntway's house and saw no more of the love he mourned. From time to time, his friend answered any inquiry Grey made by letter respecting her. But, very poor food to a lover is intelligence of a mistress filtered through a friend. Huntway could tell nothing definitely. He said he believed there had been some prior flirtation between Cytheria and her cousin, an officer of the line, two or three years before Grey met her, which had suddenly been terminated by the cousin's departure for India, 
and the young ladies travelling on the continent with her parents the whole of the ensuing summer, on account of delicate health. Eventually, Huntway said, that circumstances had rendered Gray's attachment more hopeless still. Cytheria's mother had unexpectedly inherited a large fortune and estates in the west of England, by the rapid fall of some intervening lives. This had caused their removal from the small house by Gower Street, and, as it appeared, a renunciation of their old friends in that quarter. Young Grey concluded that his Cytheria had forgotten him and his love, but he could not forget her. 2. From 1843 to 1861. Eight years later, feeling lonely and depressed, a man without relatives.